Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, Pastor Jim will wrap up the ninth chapter of the book of Mark. There's a somewhat sudden transition from the rest of the chapter to our passage this week that begins with verse 42. Mark records here several pretty stern warnings from the mouth of Jesus. Many of these words are also found in the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke, and several of them are recognizable from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount recorded in Matthew 5. Some of the scariest words come from Isaiah chapter 66. Pastor Jim will help us this week to understand all these words brought together in the same passage. Here is today's slice of the sermon entitled, Strong Words. So I like to read it to you in its entirety before we look at the component parts. And I'm going to read it um, uh, to you um, from what would appear to be in the best manuscripts. So I will save those words that might be in your Bible as verse 44 and verse 46 and verse 48. We'll save it for verse 48. So listen to how strong this is. Jesus says, and by the way, this is all the words of Jesus. There's no conversation here. There's no interaction here. Jesus says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. For it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Pretty strong words, right? Hey, they're, they're the words of Jesus, but you know what? I've never seen them on a bumper sticker. I've never heard anybody say in, in my time of trial, the Lord brought this into my mind. It's not that kind of a passage, is it? Well, as always, it's the historical context as well as the grammatical context that is essential for us to understand the text. I promise you, this is a prime example of a text that, apart from the setting, it would be extra hard to interpret. So what is the setting? The setting is that Jesus is training the twelve, and there's a small group of others traveling with them. He's training them to be ready to fulfill the plans that He has for them after He is uh, crucified and buried and resurrected and ascended to the Father. He's teaching them some very important lessons. 
He's always already taught them a lesson on faith. He's taught them a lesson on, uh, on prayer. And, and mingled with that, he's been giving them in a very straightforward language um, the instruction to let them know that he must go to Jerusalem. He will be betrayed, arrested, and crucified. Then he will rise from the dead after he's buried. Now, they aren't getting that part yet. They're very resistant to that. I don't think in a willful way. I think they truly couldn't understand how he could be both to die and to be the glorious king who will bring uh, the kingdom. And uh, Luke even mentions it was being kept from them. It's like they were having to get this in bite-sized portions. So, uh, along the way, there has also been a lesson on humility. That's what we saw in our last visit to to Mark. So think back to that previous passage. Uh, Before it started, the twelve were arguing among themselves which of them was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They get to their destination and Jesus said, Hey guys, what were you talking about along the way? Got kind of quiet. He splattered their pride all over the windshield of his truth in the next conversation. They had no right to make the assumption that one of them would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why, they had no right to assume that there's even such thing as greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In every mention of that concept, concept, Jesus never accepts the idea of that. Instead, he says, and we just saw this last time, he who wishes to be the greatest among you shall be your servant. Guys, quit fighting for the top. Fight for the bottom of the pile and lift everybody else up. That's how kingdom living is. Only the pride of um, sinful man would stoop to thinking about something like a spiritual all-star team. And that's what these guys were assuming. Well, yeah, we're obviously the all-star team, but who's the captain of the all-star team? I think one of the worst ideas that's ever been proffered among Christians, when I heard it, uh, first time it happened, I actually thought that it was, um, that it was satire. I didn't think anybody would actually do this, but there is that day when uh, Christians in full carnality copy the world, get together, dress up like the world, and act like the proud world that they're supposedly saved from, and then they get together and they give each other awards, dove awards. Oh my goodness. Um, I don't want to just pick on musicians. We have our problems elsewhere, but... Uh, I have a feeling if Jesus showed up for that night of self-sanctified pride, after it was over, people would be talking about how he'd cleared the temple. How, how dare we think like that? I mean, if we're going to do that, why don't we have brimstone awards for sermons and, and, and for great preachers? How about the casserole award for the superstars of potlucks? I mean, we laugh because that's so absurd, and then with a straight face, our world does it. A true child of God, you might be flattered by such things. You might also realize, though, that they don't matter at all. 
like one of the songs that never won a Dove Award says, God is not impressed with the loftiness of men. I love that phrase. And that's why our text for today is in the next paragraph after Jesus' teaching, quit fighting about who's the greatest. If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So the passage before us this morning is a passage about discipleship. What does it mean to call Jesus Lord? What does He ask of you when you come to Him for salvation? And this is Jesus' own answer. If you will, I would say that our text this morning is Jesus' commentary on His own words from the previous chapter, Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He says, If anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. So here's how we're going to break down our passage. Not equal parts to the points, but three evidences of discipleship. Number one, verse 42, strong care. Number two, strong repentance, verses 43 through 48. And number three, strong sacrifice, verses 49 and 50. First, strong care. If you are a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ, you will have not a desire to argue about whether you're greatest or the other guy's the greatest. You will have a tenacious profound care for all of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at Mark 9, 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble. Now remember, where are they? They're at Capernaum. They're probably in the home of Peter and Andrew. He probably had taken one of Peter's or Andrew's kids and brought them and, and put him in their midst. And he's He's using the child as a vivid illustration. Now, he's not just talking about being nice to little kids. I'm all for being nice to little kids. All right? And we should never uh, attack the faith of a little child who has come to Christ. But Matthew makes it very clear that he's using the child to illustrate those who believe in Him, that we all must come like a child. We must all come with childlike faith, faith, total trust in the parents on the part of the child, total trust in God on behalf of the believer. So, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if, with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, He had been cast into the sea. Not only do we need to be converted and become like a little child, we must also serve God by serving His children and and being involved in each other's lives so that as we fight for the bottom of the heap, everybody else gets lifted up to be encouraged and to be more like the Lord. In other words, we want to watch out for the well-being of the other children of God. Now, would you notice there's another one of those all-inclusive words here, whoever? He's done that on several occasions in this this flow of events. This could apply to anybody, anytime, anyplace, any circumstance. 
And the child he's referring to, remember, is both a literal child and that child represents one who trusts in Christ. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.